today is our final message in this series, and I just want to start out with asking you this question. How many of you would say that you married someone who's pretty much your opposite? Let me see your hands. Pretty much your opposite. I mean, that, that, that makes sense, right? Because when we're dating, opposites attract, and then when it's 24-7 after the marriage, opposites tend to attack, right? Because what was so cute when you were dating, when you're around at 24-7, is not so cute anymore, Right? For instance, let's just do some for instances. How many of you are punctual, meaning being on time is a very big deal to you? Let me see your hands. How many of you married people are more creative with your time? Just take your time raising your hands. We got all day because it just doesn't matter. What's a watch? You don't know what a watch is. How many married people like to plan ahead for vacation? Back in the day, man, these phones and, and this stuff is, is so easy now to plan for vacation. Back in the day, we didn't have all that stuff, so I would print out maps, right? So I would print out maps of places I would go. It was in my, my, my uh, calendar, and I'd say to Janie, pull out the next map, and she'd pull out the map, and I would have all of the, the details. You know, I would have the reservation numbers, the hotel name, the address, all of this stuff. Nowadays, you can just put it into your GPS, but how many of you like to plan? Let me see. How many of you like to plan? How many of you like to spin a bottle in whichever direction it goes? you drive that way till you run out of gas. Let me see your hands. Yes, there are some of you. How many of you, when, when you have a little extra money, you automatically assume it's for having fun? There are some of you. Come on. Some of y'all lying? Have some, okay, yeah, some of you are helping. Those of, those of you who are the savers, how many of you, when you have extra money, it's for security. It's not for having fun, it's for security. You save, right? Those were the ones who were raising your spouse's hand just a second ago. And just praise God, let's go. Somebody go get the, the joy basket right now and let's put it in front of those spenders because we might have a record giving day today because they just like to spend. No, I'm just kidding, okay. Kind of, kind of kidding. Opposites attract. And if you're not careful, opposites will attack after the wedding, but it doesn't have to be that way. You should not be like your spouse because let's be honest, you would kill you if you lived with you 24-7, right? You would murder. We'd all be in jail, right? Because we couldn't stand living with somebody like us. But praise God, he gives someone else the grace to love us and we get to love someone else too. That's, that's the fun thing. But here's what I want to ask. How come... In marriages, we start off with all of the songs on the radio make sense because we're so in love. And we'll buy stuffed walruses and we'll buy Hallmark sappy greeting cards. How can we go from that to in divorce court? I get the couch. You never liked that couch. Well, I get the chair. And we, we argue over stuff that's just insignificant. How do we go from that? It's because things that start off little bitty, we don't resolve, and before long they get big, and we start focusing on those big things that really were little, and before long it's not, I don't like the things you do. Before long, if you focus on that, it's I don't like you, and it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want it to be that way. So what we're going to do as a church is we're making five commitments that we believe will fail-proof our marriages. And so go ahead and put that up there if you would, Crystal. Let's say these out loud with me. Seek God, come on, help me out. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. 
Week one, we said we're going to seek God who is the one. You're not going to seek another human being as the one because another human being was not created to meet your deepest needs. We're going to seek God as the one with a capital O. And then we're going to pray and, and seek God like crazy until he brings us a spouse. But if we're already married, we're going to seek the one with our two right? That's what we said. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to fight fair the second week because we said, if you fight for victory, you're going to lose. Because anytime I win against my spouse, I lose. We're going to fight for resolution. We're not going to fight for victory. Week three, have fun. Some face-to-face, some side-to-side, and somebody help me out. What's the third one? Belly button to belly button. Praise Jesus. Next week, we said we're going to stay pure because how many of you would like to have a little bit of dog manure sprinkled on your lunch today? How many of you want some arsenic or some COVID-19? No, we're going to stay pure because only an idiot would do those things, right? How come you allow manure to come into your marriage through the music you listen to, through the movies that you watch, through the places you go? That just does not even make sense to me. So we're going to stay pure. And today, we're not ever going to give up. And I'm not talking about you staying in an abusive marriage. That's not what I mean at all. If you're a punching bag, you need to separate and I will counsel you to separate. And you need to go through counseling. And then maybe by the grace of God, if there's healing, maybe you, you work on the marriage. That's not what I'm talking about. And I know that a lot of you have already gone through divorce. And this is not about guilt today. Not at all. Because what's the name of the series? From this day forward. We're not going to worry about that. Because you've already suffered guilt and you've already suffered pain. And, and the, the accuser The enemy of God is the one who wants you looking at your past. The one who loves you, your heavenly father, wants you looking to your future from this day forward with his power. So we can't change the past. We're not going to focus on it. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to be Christians who never give up because they said in the, the little intro, with God, all things are possible. So let's go to the word of God. And by the way, if I ever, if we ever, if I begin to preach or Casey or whoever's in this, this pulpit begins to preach the word of Doug or the word of Casey, we need to be fired immediately because we need to, we need to look at the word of God and what he has to say. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. If you have your phones, go ahead and look that up on, on, um, version. Um, whatever Bible app you have, look this up because I need, to, I need to set a little bit of a stage here. This is a very interesting conversation between the Pharisees who were trying to, who always wanted to have something against Jesus. So they come to him and they ask him a question and, and here's the question about marriage and divorce. Matthew 19, we're gonna start with verse three. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him. What'd they try to do? Because this is what they always did. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders and they had every right to question any new teacher what they didn't have a right to do was not listen to what the teacher said and follow what the teacher said if it came from God. But they tried to trap him with this question, and here it is. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? This is a loaded question. Now, um, I think I have the next slide. Go ahead and put that up there if you would, Krista. Um, this is, you may not be able to read this. I'm going to read this to you. So in my, in my devotional just a few weeks ago, I highlighted all of this stuff because it blew my mind and it helps me understand the teaching of the rabbis. There's a whole bunch of rabbis and you would, you would attach yourself to a rabbi. You would follow him. If you're in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish um, tradition, even today, the, those hats they wear, the fuzzy hats that are real tall and the, and the curly cues on their sideburns, that reflects whatever rabbi they're following. Here's what the rabbi said. 
History reveals that the Jewish religious leaders came to honor their traditions far above the word of God. And that if you ever hear somebody say, my tradition is more important than the word of God, you should run away from them and pray that God will have mercy on that person. So they held it far above the word of God. Rabbi Eliezer said, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. So meaning, let's say we are our Christmas celebration. We begin to worship our Christmas celebration above the word of God. He says, if you put the word of God above the, the Christmas celebration, I'm just using that as an example. He's saying that you have no place in heaven. The traditions are more important than the word of God and than this one. The Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish sayings. By the way, the Mishnah was not collected until two to 300 years after Jesus walked the earth until the sixth century, six, 700. The Mishnah, a collection of Jewish traditions and legend, all kinds of legend in there. In the Talmud records, the Talmud is just, here's, here's what our religious leaders taught us for thousands of years. Here's the traditions, not the word of God, traditions. Here's what he says. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict the scripture itself. And you see, what did I write on the bottom? Unbelievable. That someone would dare say they're following God and put anything above the word of God. Now, in this culture, you need to understand this. In this culture, women were property. This is not biblical, but it's what was cultural. It is not what God intended. But humans always pervert things. It's what we've done since Adam and Eve were on the earth. And so they perverted the, the, the relationship between men and women, and they viewed men, uh, women as property. You got your cow, you got your goat, you got your wife or your woman. This is the way it was. It's not biblical, but this is how things were. Any man for any reason could say to his wife, I want a divorce, even if he didn't like the way she looked. Now, I want to go back to verse one. Go ahead and put that up there, Krista. When Jesus had finished these words, he left Galilee and came into the region of Judea by the Jordan. Now, this is a big deal. I got two maps here, and I, want to, I love this first map. Check out this first map. This is, this, so see the arrow? I love maps like this. This is what we're talking about. This is the region of Perea. Now, why is that a big deal? Next map. You see down here, the, the Perea right here, if you look over here at the, at the legend, Herod Antipas was the, was the tetrarch there. He wasn't really king. He wanted to be called King Herod. He's the, he's the son of Herod the Great, the one that had um, all of the kids in Bethlehem murdered. Now, what's interesting about this is Herod, at this time when Jesus comes here, this is on purpose, Jesus comes to this place. Herod had just had John the Baptist beheaded. You remember why John the Baptist was beheaded? because um, Herod Antipas was married to his brother's wife. So he, he committed adultery with his brother's wife. Then he married her. And John the Baptist dared to say, it is not right. You should never have married your brother's wife. And so Herod Antipas wanted to have John the Baptist killed, but he was afraid of him. So he threw him in prison. And then in Matthew chapter 14, if you read that story, because um, he was afraid of his wife and afraid of his guests, he has John the Baptist beheaded. Now, that's where they ask this question. They're assuming we got the right question. Jesus is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we're going we're gonna to get him involved in this, the, the argument between the rabbis because one rabbi said, any reason whatsoever, you can divorce your wife. Another rabbi was at the other end of the spectrum said, absolutely not. The only way you can divorce your wife is because of adultery. And so they said, we'll either get him involved in this controversy between the rabbis, and in which case we'll divide the people against him, or 
Or they'll have Herod Antipas will get mad and kill him for us and we won't have to worry about him anymore. Right question, wrong place for Jesus, wrong time for Jesus. They think they've got Jesus right where they want him. And let me just ask you, if you've ever heard any stories about Jesus, does anybody ever have Jesus right where they want him? No, never. Jesus' answer shocks everybody because he raises the standard for divorce. And so before I read this to you, I just want you to say this. Jesus always raises the standard. Say that. Now I want you to emphasize the second word. I want you to say Jesus always raises the standard. Now we're going to emphasize raises. Jesus always raises the standard. Now let's read the scripture. Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? Wait a minute. These are the professional scripture readers. Haven't you read what the Bible has to say? Jesus replied. <laughs> See, they were trying to get him involved in, in this controversy between rabbis, and Jesus didn't give a rip what rabbis said. He said, let's go to the word of God. Let's go to the higher standard. It's not bad advice for us. Don't ever get in an argument with two or three people or two preachers or two denominations. What does the word of God say? He goes back to the word of God and he says, they, the word of God, record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. All right, Jesus says, let's go back to the very first humans on earth. In Genesis chapter one, on the sixth day, God made them male and female in his image, which that right there should elevate women to the same, um, same level as men. Male and female, God said, let us create them in our image. Talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That, that alone elevates women to the same status as men. And he says, they record from the beginning, God made them male and female. And then he said, Jesus said, this explains why a man leaves father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Too many men have not left their mommies. Too many men are still living for their mommies and that's why you're having trouble. Because God said, from the beginning, a man is to leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they become how many fleshes? One flesh. The highest human relationship is your spouse. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your children. And then look what he says. Since they are no longer two, but one, one flesh. I say this in every marriage ceremony that, that I officiate. Let no one split apart or let no one separate what God has joined together. Now, he's not saying you don't have a personality. If you know Janie, Janie has a different personality than me, right? Praise God, right? She, she has all of her gifts and all of her abilities, but we're one through marriage. He's clearly saying two are now one flesh united before God, and that's why he said let no one split apart. No, you shouldn't split apart what? what God has joined together. So uh, several weeks ago, I had a couple of pieces of duct tape and I brought Matt and Rachel up here and talked about how, how that bonds you together. And, you know, if you stick the duct tape uh, to, to all kinds of people and, and that represents sexual um, activity before marriage, then it becomes not a bonding agent. Well, let's, let's say these, this represents, I've got, I've got duct tape. It's a duct tape heart, right? Can y'all see that? This is, this is my craftiness. And, and so my wife is the crafty person, not me. But, but what I did was I took two pieces of duct tape, shaped it like this, and then I stuck them together, right? What is going to happen? Have y'all ever tried to separate duct tape from duct tape? Is it, is it very, is it very neat? What happens? 
You can do it. I'm not going to try to do it because it'll take me forever. But even if I do, what happens to the heart? It's ripped apart. And that's exactly what happens whenever you have physical uh, sexual activity before marriage. A part of your heart is given to that person. And then the next time, a part of your heart is given to that person. And eventually, you get just a little bit of a heart left over. And then you get married and you go, here, here's my heart. You're broken. And you should get healthy before you get married. And I talked to you about spiritual virginity, being, being restored to spiritual virginity. You can do that. And I would encourage you to do that. You need to get well physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally before you get married. Otherwise, you are putting a big fat bullseye that the enemy of God will shoot at over and over to destroy you, to destroy the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. You don't get the blessing of God. You get the cursing of the enemy of God. Why do you think divorce hurts so much? I don't care what you think about divorce theologically. How many of you have been through either somebody in your family's been through it, you've been hurt by divorce? Let me see your hands. Yeah, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, divorce hurts because God didn't intend it that way. It's gonna get messy, there's gonna be rips, there's gonna be tears, pieces gonna go in different ways, and that's why divorce is, is painful because God said don't split apart, Here's the thing. You can't unwind what God has made one. That's on your listening guide. You can't unwind what he's made one. There are, there are a couple of instances where God, God allows the marriage to be divorced, uh, to be separated, to, to be ended. One is adultery. And one is if you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever leaves you. Everything else is gray area. And that's why there's not one, one answer to fit every marriage. You really need to be very careful. You need to have counsel of people that you trust their walk with God. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. The real problem in our culture is people don't understand what marriage is. They think marriage is, is an agreement or a contract, but, but according to scripture, marriage is a covenant. Everybody say marriage is a what? Covenant. A contract. Let's look at the difference. A contract is based on mutual distrust, right? A contract limits my responsibility. It increases my rights. Someone rents from me. They have to sign a contract. Why? Because I don't trust them. They'd be a fool to trust me if they didn't know me. We sign a contract and it defines, here's all I have to do before the, the law. Here's all you have to do before the law. If either one of us violates the contract, the other one can, can have a judgment against them. That's, that's marriage in America. I trust you as long as you perform up to my expectations. <laughs> And that's the question that the Pharisees were asking. They're saying, can, can a man, notice there's no, there's no rights for a woman, can a man violate the contract for any reason? Well, I don't care what your lawyer says, a marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant according to the word of God. Let's look at a covenant. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. And here it says, it limits my rights and it increases my responsibility. Just the opposite of a contract. Immature people get married and they think it's all about them and they just cause all kinds of troubles. Please, 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 for the love of God, and, and if not for, for your spouse, for your future children, get healthy before you get married. Now, the Hebrew word for covenant is actually the word berit. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard T, not the TH like we would say in English. It literally means a cutting. 
In the, Old Test, in, in the Old Testament, they would cut a bull in half or some type of animal, they'd cut it in half. And they would do this ceremony where they would walk in between the two halves. And, and you know, if they wanted to do it, if they wanted to, to, to do the number of completion, they would walk through seven times because in the Old Testament, seven was the, the number of completion. And they would say to one another, to any witnesses and to God, do to us what we've done to this animal if we violate this covenant. And, and this is really serious because this goes all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 15 when God established a covenant with Abraham. God had Abraham take a bull, divide it in two. Abraham falls asleep and in his, in his dream, God sends this, this flaming fire pot to float between the two halves and God is saying, I'm making a covenant with you. The, the whole deal with, with God, with Jesus has always been a covenant. In the Old Testament, a lot of times, the way people would get married is they would go to some representative of God, and, and this is not in the Bible anywhere, but there's some traditions where they would take the hand of the groom and the hand of the bride, and they would cut it, and they would put the hands together. They would mix the blood. Why? Because in Leviticus, it says the life is in the blood, so they're literally mixing the two lives together. And then they would take a rope and they would tie the rope around the husband's hand and the wife's hand to symbolize they are no longer two, they are one. And what God has joined together, do not let anyone split apart. It was symbolic. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm a big believer in, in don't just let anybody do your wedding ceremony. You should go through some, some marriage counseling. You should, you should let a minister that you respect stand before you and proclaim the word of God over you because it is a covenant. You do not un-one what God has made one. And people do it all the time and they suffer the consequences for generation to generation to generation. So when Janie and I got married, May 25th, 1991, my brother was the pastor and my brother said, Doug, do you take Janie to be your wife, to have and to hold somebody else, help me out from this day forward, in sickness and health, better, uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others, being faithful to her as long as she makes you happy. Is that, what I, is that what I committed? As long as she fulfills her part of the deal. Is that what I committed to? As long as no one better comes along, that would be her, her commitment, not mine. No. As long as you both shall live. So here's my question to you today. Do you know the expiration date of your marriage? It's that little date after the dash on your headstone or your spouse's headstone. Your expiration date is the expiration date of your marriage, according to Scripture. Billy Graham's wife was once asked if she ever thought about divorce, and she goes, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. <laughs> right? Because we can make each other crazy. Janie, the other night, told me, sometimes you make me crazy. <laughs> You're welcome. On a contract, there's an end date. You know, you rent from me, there's an end date. But on a covenant, death is your end date. And so that's why we never give up. You don't undo, you don't unwind what God has made one. To get divorced because you've run out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. What do you do if your car runs out of gas? If you have a brain... You put gas in it. If you don't, I'll be happy to buy your car for a very low price. If you don't have love, what do you do? You go to God. The, the Bible says God is love, not he has love. He is love. 
Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The person who does not love is not of God. They don't even know God. But you say, I've tried and I've tried and I'm at the end of myself. Guess what? You're exactly where God wants you to be. Because Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. If I don't have love, I let the, the God of love love through me. If I don't have forgiveness, I let the one who, who let his son, his innocent son die, become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I let him forgive through me. Look at this verse in Galatians 6, 7, and 9. We're going to finish with this. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit, that was week one, we're going to seek God, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. That's a capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. How many of you would like to say, I want to reap a harvest of blessing? Come on. Don't play around. Y'all know y'all want to harvest a blessing. You'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't do what? Oh. So let me just look at a couple of things real quickly. Number one, you harvest what you plant, all right? If I have apple seeds and I plant apple seeds, am I going to get orange trees? Not in this world. If someone smiles at you, what are you likely to get back? If somebody flips you off, what are you, what are you likely to give back? No, because you're Christians, you're going to say, I shall pray for thou soul. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what we should do. But my point is, if someone flips you off, you probably don't have a loving response to them. If in marriage, someone shows you grace and compassion and forgiveness, what are you likely to reflect back to them? Grace, compassion, forgiveness. If in marriage, someone's always complaining, always comparing, always critical, what do you tend to give back to them? Same thing. Now, men, please don't miss this. We got it. We got it. You need to know this. Women are multipliers. I want you to say that. Women are multipliers. Whatever you give a woman, she multiplies. You give her your bachelor pad, and all of a sudden, things begin to match and smell good. How'd she do that? She multiplied what you gave her. You give her your groceries. What does she do? Because, man, I'm, I hate cooking. So if she's gone, I'm either going out to eat or I'm just throwing something in a crock pot and it all goes together. I do not care if it fills up my belly, right? But you give Janie a bunch of groceries, she creates 99.9% .9 of the time, she creates these awesome things. Every once in a while I'll go, what is that? It's something new. And I'm like, yay. But she multiplies, right? Women multiply. You give them flowers and affection and communication and tenderness in your heart, and they're going to give you some belly button to belly button action. Someone say, glory to God. <laughs> Ladies, is that right? Don't leave me hanging. Ladies, are you more likely to be in the mood if a guy is tender and compassionate and loving and romantic? Hello? Yes, yes thank you. You give them physical love, they'll give you a kid. You give them a lot of love, they're liable to give you five or six kids because they multiply. Guys, you give them a hard time and they will open up the gates of hell down on your head. They're multipliers. Yeah, the ladies are going, uh-huh, uh-huh. So here's, here's the bottom line. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. What are you planting? I'm willing to bet you're receiving exactly back to you what you planted in that relationship. Number two, you harvest where you plant. Now, this should be intuitive, but it's not. I want you to say, I harvest where I plant. Yeah. 
Now, everybody, please, if you want to get out in the next few minutes, play along. I harvest where I plant. If I plant a seed over there, am I going to get a tree over here? No. If you're planting all of your energy and your effort in your hobby at the exclusion of your spouse, does that benefit your marriage? If all of your energy and your best attention goes to your job, does that benefit your marriage? If all of your love and grace and compassion goes to your children above your spouse, does that benefit your marriage? No, you benefit where you plant. Planting the wrong seed in the wrong place always results in the wrong harvest. Number three, you harvest after you plant. You see, because here's what happens. A lot of times when people come to me, last resort, they come to me. Fix our marriage. And I say, have you been seeking God? No. Have you been praying? No. Have you been reading your Bible? No. You're, you're not, <laughs> you haven't planted anything in the kingdom of God, so you're not harvesting anything from the kingdom of God. Remember, God is our one, our spouses are two. Anything else that gets in his, his way is going to mess things up. So I want, you to, I want you to hear this as we finish this series. My marriage is as good as we decide it is. What are those two underlined words? We decide. Janie and I have the same problems you do. In fact, the other night we had, we had, a, we had a fight and a, 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 because I, my feelings were hurt, which meant my ego. By the way, the male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. If you didn't know that, I'll just tell you that again. And so the issue that we had an, an issue with wasn't even the issue. There was some stuff that had been going on for a long time, and I was so mad. And so we go in, and, and we're going <laughs> to... This, this is the... This is what praying together every night does for you. So we go in and we're going to pray. And I'm mad. I'm so mad I can't, even, I can't even reach over and grab her hand. And I'm not kidding you. I'm laying there in bed going, I really need to reach over and grab her hand because I cannot pray. I really need to work through this. But, but when, when, a, when a red and A-type personality is mad, there is this raging inferno in their gut. And we turned the lights off so she couldn't see my eyes, right? And I can't just turn it off. And so I laid there and I laid there and I laid there and she would ask me something and she would say something and, and, I, and I knew, I knew she didn't intentionally hurt my feelings. I knew that. But the feelings were just as real. And so I don't even know how long it was. I didn't look at the clock because I was, I was be ashamed at how long I laid there. Finally, I breathed out and I reached over and I grabbed her hand. And it was another 10 or 15 minutes after that. She said to me, she said, what do you need to say to me? And I'm not proud of this at all, but there was something that I had carried for several years that I'd never told her. And so I just laid there, laid there, laid there, and the Lord's going, you're an idiot. You need to say this. And so... I did, and, and not in a condemning fashion, not mad. I said, you asked me what I need to say. Here's what I need to say. She said some things to me, and here's one of the things. I will never forget this. She said, I adore you. I adore you. And then she said, sometimes you make me mad. 
but I adore you. So the next day, and see, I'm not a words guy. I'm an acts, I'm a word, I'm a, uh, what am I? Acts of service, thank you. I'm an acts of service guy. And so I'm like, you don't have to tell me that stuff. But the next day I said, hey, baby, <laughs> you can always tell me you adore me because I like it. You see, whatever, what other area of your life do you just say, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like going to work tomorrow. Try not going to work tomorrow. Don't say your pastor said, leave me out of it. Just try that and see how, how your boss feels. Doug said, yeah. How many of you feel like changing diapers in the middle of the night? Those really messy, gooey ones. Yeah, I like that. What do you do? You put on your big boy pants. You put on your big girl pants and you go do what's right. I don't feel like paying taxes. Anyone? Anyone just love paying taxes? No. You get over it and you do what's right. Because here's the promise of God. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. God's timing is not always our timing. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. And then what's that two... What's the red two letters? If. The reason most of you have not received a harvest of blessing is because you've given up. At just the right time, God's time, not my time, if I'll seek God with my spouse, if I'll learn to fight fair, if I'll learn to have fun, if, what's the next one? If I'll learn to stay pure, and if I will commit, I will never give up. Then I will reap a harvest of blessing from the one who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and nothing is impossible with me. Janie told me that during some of our toughest times, the only thing that got her through was the fist bump. We would fist bump, and I'd say, I mean, you have to understand how bad things were. i go, for better, for worse, baby. And we'd fist bump. Does anybody want to be that type of couple that never gives up? So that God can bless generation after generation after generation. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray for the next generation. What they're seeing in movies and listening to in music is not your plan for life. Not your plan for relationships. God... God, change our church into a life-giving, life-proclaiming, life-altering um, type church because we know the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Make our marriages healthy and give us an, an incredible commitment, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.